So, Greg, what did you think of the music in the movie? Uh, there's no real music in No Country for Old Men. It's just tones. The coin flipping air gun cow euthanizer is on the loose again. Everyone in the town is going to die, but at least the cows are safe. Greg, you're not getting paid for today's intro. You understand that, right? Yeah, I know. You have Cohen Brothers tickets, don't you? Yeah, I've got got Cohen Brothers tickets. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I had a weird thought about the music in the movie. Hmm. I I thought that they would have to listen to, like, R&B or something. Oh? Yeah, because there's no country for old men. (laughs) Even your dog doesn't (laughs) like that joke. Welcome, everyone, to the number one award-winning movie motherfucking podcast on Earth. Back to our regularly scheduled theme song after Spooky Season and a brief hiatus, because we went hard for Spooky Season. Greg, yes, we did. how are you today, man? Oh, I'm great. I'm honestly, like, in a really good headspace today. Uh, it's just, it's a weird week. <laughs> Lemon, it's Monday. Um, it's, it's, it's a weird, <laughs> stressful week. A lot of things are changing. It's time to, like buckle down maybe for some changes in life in general it's just kind of a weird time and i can't think of a better mindset to be in to talk about what literally i was gonna say one of it is my favorite movie of all time it's no country for old men but the uh the reason we're discussing this movie today is of course because the theme the theme for this week this is movies for when of course it's a podcast movies for when movies for when you want to discuss your favorite movie I thought it was when it's the 15th anniversary of your favorite movie. Hey, we got to use this uh, theme again sometime in the future, so that's just a happy coincidence. That was the original title. Oh, because I was about to do a bit where um, I pretended some other movie that came out this time 15 years ago was my favorite movie and demand that we cover it. (laughs) Well, we can watch Michael Clayton later. Um... (laughs) What year was it? 07? Yeah, it was 07. 07 was a tremendous year for film and video games, I must say. What a great time. I don't like the aughts. It's not, it's just, I, I didn't connect to much culture in that time. It just wasn't for me. 07 was Greg's time. So. 07, Greg Bond. 2007. Ah! ah Daniel Greg. That's me. Um, yeah, this is movies for when you want to discuss your favorite movie. Like we talked about last week. We've changed our format a little bit. We're going to be doing one movie a week. So it gives us a little more room, opportunity to talk about whatever we want to talk about for the week. Uh, Maybe revisit something. Maybe have a theme last four weeks. Have a repeating theme that's just one week at a time. So we figured we'd intro a one-week theme that we'll revisit on like a one-week special every once in a while. Uh, Movies for when you want to discuss your favorite movie. We discussed two of your favorite movies uh, for Spooky Season, Denny. Actually, the last two weeks of Spooky Season, right? So we're we're on three weeks in a row of, of our favorite movies and not even planning on it. That didn't even happen intentionally. Yeah, that's 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 what I like. I like talking about the stuff we like the most, so yep. that's pretty awesome. I can't believe we had the restraint to make it this far into the podcast without covering our favorite movies, honestly. Yeah, the restraint... Uh, 
it got to the point where it was just like, okay, I got to save it for like a really special time. And right. now we have the special time. Um, so yeah, Halloween's over. Spooky season is done. I have one quick question before we move on from spooky season. And I meant to ask it last time. What was your favorite movie of this year's Halloween series? We had, uh, I believe, six episodes. Yes. Yeah, we had six Halloween episodes. We had thrillers. We had witch movies. We had Halloween itself. What was your favorite movie that we covered during our spooky season series for the last month? I mean, how can a man pick between Scooby-Doo and Ernest Scared Stupid? Um, mm-hmm. it, <sighs> neither of those even won the episode they were in. <laughs> That's not like that's a weird question for me because I know we covered my two favorite movies, but I didn't score them the highest. So, so yeah. do you want to know which I thought was the best or which I which I love the most? What did what did you love watching and covering for this? It doesn't have to be like a permanent decision for what's your favorite out of the 18 movies we covered, but it's just like what did you have the most fun revisiting and maybe covering on the show? Man, I was super depressed for most of October, so I didn't have a lot of fun doing any of it, to be quite honest with you, or anything. Um, I'm going to say I actually had the least fun doing it, because um, it scared the fuck out of me. But I think I've got to go with Hereditary here. Um, Interesting. Okay. I, I really enjoyed our Nightmare on Elm Street discussion, too. Um so I don't know. Yeah, you know, that was fun. I don't know. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. I, I liked that one a lot. Uh, I might go with Nightmare on Elm Street because I enjoyed messing around with you doing that. I felt like with Beetlejuice and Rocky Horror, there was like so much trivia involved that I, I didn't feel like we were really chopping it up and getting in the groove as much. But we really got into Nightmare and had some fun with it, I thought. I, I'm going to go with Nightmare on Elm Street. What about you? Very cool. Uh, maybe from a movie experience standpoint... I got to go with the Vivitch, something I was too scared to watch up until we finally watched it. And now I want to watch it like twice a year all the time. I think it's like, I I think I gave green room was my highest rating, but I think the witch was one. It was one point shy. And I just, Oh, it's so fucking good. Dude. It only gets better with rewatches. It only gets better with rewatches. I can't wait to do that some more. Uh, yeah, clo- close runner-up for me. I think second place is a tie between X and Hereditary. Yeah. Still waiting for the uh, dual Blu-ray pack with uh, Pearl. So. <laughs> I had to fucking call the Hereditary discussion early because I got too scared remembering it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's embarrassing. That's how much Hereditary scares me. We had to trim a little off the top. Just lop the head off while yeah. we, you know, we're still ahead. Top top so. three most embarrassing podcast moments for Denny was not understanding Treasure Planet, not knowing who Harry Styles was, and uh, being too scared to talk about Hereditary. <laughs> I appreciate you breezing past my uh, beheading jokes. All right, so... <laughs> Oh, I didn't get them. That's why I breezed past them. I didn't get them. I know you didn't. So. <laughs> I'm pretty slow tonight, man. It's uh, it's called a Vivance crash. Look it up. <laughs> I will later. In the meantime, though, um, yeah. Do you want to get into the other movies we watched 
Yeah, let's do what we've been watching. We'll do it quickly. Like the olden days, before the Patreon experiment. We'll just kind of go through them, say a quick sentence about them, you know? Cool. Yeah, uh, just make them all quick hitters, man. Just what, yeah. you, what you got? Well, uh, TV shows I've been watching uh, have been the new release of Big Mouth, which so far is a great season, as always. Uh, I can't watch it while I'm eating. That's the one negative I'll say about That's, Big Mouth. I will echo what you just said. Perfect. <laughs> it's a really yeah. gross show, but I love it. Um I have also been watching Love is Blind, um, season three. Fun. Uh, sometimes I think it's really fun. Sometimes I'm like, the world is dark. Why am I looking into this fucking shit show? Um, I don't know. I've been I've been less into it, but it's, it's, a, it's a communal thing with the wifey. But sometimes it gives me like existential dread because I think too much about things. Um, movies I've watched recently... Um, I watched... Did we talk about House and One Cut on our last Patreon episode? No, we didn't. Okay, so I watched House, a.k.a. Houseu, um, a 1977 uh, Asian horror classic. Um, I am in love with this bizarre fucking movie. It is... Starring Hugh Laurie as Dr. Houseu. Yes. I don't know. I don't know what you're referencing. The show House. Please continue. Oh, I just call that guy House. <laughs> 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 I didn't know his name. <laughs> um, He's done other stuff. All right. Hugh Laurie. He's house. Come on. Uh, but yeah, I can't <laughs> recommend that acid trip of a horror movie enough. It's just a delightful unicorn blast of awesome terror. Um, I also finally watched One Cut of the Dead, which I think Greg would greatly enjoy. Um, nice. It's a really, really fun movie. Um, it's one of those that's kind of hard to talk about any of it without spoiling it, but uh, it is very unique, a one-of-a-kind movie. Uh, there's nothing else like it, and I strongly recommend it. Um, let's see, what else did I watch? I watched, um, I'm saving the big one for last, of course. I went Ooh. to see Rocky Horror Picture in a theater on, uh, on Halloween night. That was a blast. Uh, people were in good spirits, yelling at the screen, having fun, dressing up. Cool. I really enjoyed it. Um, and finally, other than No Country for Old Men, I watched Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Oh, this yeah made my friday night um i can't recommend it enough i hate 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 have no interest in this stupid musical biopic craze that's happening right now even the trailers feel like two hour long boring movies um (laughs) (laughs) um, good call out good call out yeah and this movie just roasts them um it's just a parody of the genre it's got a little bit of walk hard in it um But it's just, Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al is fantastic. It's full of, like, fun little Easter eggs for people who know Al's real history. It's a completely dialed up, made up history, basically having Weird Al do Bohemian Rhapsody um, sardonically the entire time. And it is just so fucking good. Um, And it totally works for the bit, too, that, like... Daniel Radcliffe, they made him look pretty much just like Weird Al, except he's, like, fucking jacked, and it fits for, like, the parody (laughs) of, like, revisionist history that these movies do, you know? (laughs) Like, the the premise is that, like, Weird Al was, like, narcissistically involved with this movie, and, and changing his story is essentially what it is, and 
Man, me and Vanessa had the best Friday night in watching that movie. It brought us a lot of joy. I laughed out loud quite a bit. Um, put me in a fantastic mood. I can't recommend it enough. Um, it's free with ads on the Roku channel. It's not made up. It's Roku's streaming service that they actually made a good movie on. That's, I think, part... That's like another layer of the comedy, I think. <laughs> that it's on the Roku channel. <laughs> like uh, what a happy accident i'm sure yeah uh, I mean, <laughs> I, i've heard <laughs> i've heard nothing but glowing reviews about it so i'll be sure to check that one out pretty soon yeah. uh speaking of musical biopics uh <laughs> i'll get into my movies i assume you're done now yes i'm done uh we watched <laughs> we watched elvis what a fucking ride i can't remember if it was something on twitter or maybe it was the blank check podcast but somebody compared tom hanks's performance in elvis they called it the first film performance based on the character watto from star wars (laughs) (laughs) i saw you going for a drink and i felt really bad Mm. i tried to wait for you to be done but (laughs) Mm. that's good shit no spit takes here um that's real good shit i was blimey what a what a feature uh, <laughs> baz lerman i was half interested because i like baz's aesthetic but uh then i remembered it's a movie about elvis how good could it possibly be the guy playing elvis was awesome i he was he yeah. saved the film for sure i yeah. really liked that <laughs> but yeah uh but a film that nobody could save we watched halloween kills we haven't watched ends yet, and I'm not sure if I want to yet. Maybe give it a few more weeks. But the Halloween only kills. reason, yeah, exactly. <laughs> for I science, give it some time. it's for science <laughs> is the only reason to watch Halloween ends. Research purposes, we got to see how this thing ends. Air quotes here. It's, I imagine it's going to be a talking point among movie people for like 15 years. You're going to have to watch it eventually, so just get it out of the way. <laughs> is what I would say. <laughs> I want to rip the bandaid off after I like give it some time like i just ripped this band-aid off like give me some time before the next one you know um, yeah i watched kills... them back to back so that, what does that say about me <laughs> I, was, I was messaging joseph like i i posted something about it on instagram and he was talking to me about it i was like yeah but they specifically did so many things that felt like there was just a board meeting of like what would annoy greg and <laughs> put it all in the film um but a better scary movie i watched there is a sequel to this movie we haven't seen yet but don't breathe is on peacock and that was really good it has the kid from uh prisoners and 13 reasons why and the girl from that playlist show on nbc or whatever it was a it was a cool movie it's a really cool movie it's just people trying to rob a house for a he's a blind uh, military veteran that just shuts off all the lights and uses the elements against him. It's a really cool thriller kind of horror movie. It's it's pretty sick. I cool, really liked man. it. And uh, the last movie we watched, Halloween's over. So, no, no, no. Halloween ends. Halloween. Shut up. <laughs> Spooky season is over. So I wanted to get into the Christmas spirit. So I I I put on uh christmas 
uh, classic Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, yeah. It really uh, warms my heart with Christmas cheer every time I watch Eyes Wide Shut. Me Boy, and my does family, it. we used to open our presents, eat like a cinnamon roll, and just throw on Eyes Wide Shut. It didn't feel like Christmas without it. <laughs> yeah, and then Dad would take a taxi to a mansion somewhere. We didn't ask questions. Yeah, we all had to wear our festive Christmas masks and perform our deviant Christmas sex acts, and mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just a great tradition my family and I always enjoyed. What did you think of the movie, Greg? Well, the thing is, there's actually no second password for the presents. Uh, <laughs> fantastic movie, Kubrick's last film, fucking fabulous. I really liked it. Um Maybe doesn't rank too high on my list of Kubrick films, but god damn, can he shoot a fucking film? Good oh, lord. yeah. What a fucking... What a picture. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I just... As it was going... As someone that didn't have it spoiled for me in any way, just like... As it went along, realizing that some things would never come to fruition, I was just like, okay. I see. This is great, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I really liked it. It's a great flick, man, and I love that, like, Kubrick <laughs> cast Tom Cruise because he saw him on a talk show and thought his eyes were so lifeless, and he was like, I've got to put this guy in one of my movies. He's like an alien. He's, it's, like, got no soul. <laughs> it's perfect for the character, honestly. <laughs> so. mm -hmm. It worked well, really well. Well done, Stanley. Yeah. yeah. All right. Man, those are some movies. But you know what else is a movie? It's what? My it's my favorite movie. Denny, I just have... Let me ask you something. What's the most you ever lost in a podcast? Uh, like a year and a half of my life. Hmm. You've been putting it up your whole life. <laughs> oh. Well, I gotta know what's at stake. What are we putting up? Everything. Like even the Patreon? You stand to win everything. Review cats. Is that really worth winning everything? Well done. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Time to get to the actual reason for why we came here. The Movies reason for, for when, the season. The reason for the season. I avoided saying that, but you did it anyways. It's, it's November 7th today. Uh... <laughs> Don't you love the November 7th season? <laughs> it's my favorite time of year. It's the best. So, movies for when you want to discuss your favorite movie. This is my favorite movie of all time. It's my favorite. It's the best one. Oh, my God. I've been putting this off for the whole time we've been doing this podcast. Uh, originally, this was going to be like kind of a one movie episode for when your favorite movie turned celebrating the 15th anniversary of it because that's on this uh this wednesday of this week so two days before this podcast release <laughs> releases excuse you both of us actually Thank you. <sighs> 15 years since this movie came out uh no country for old men it's a movie from 2007 from the coen brothers you can watch this one on hbo max I watched it on Blu-ray, though. It was a great time. Man. Denny. Real quick, though. What is your relationship with No Country for Old Men? I had seen it once before this week. Um, 
you told me that I was not permitted to watch it um, without surround sound, so I had to come to your house uh, to watch it with the proper audio capabilities to truly enjoy the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, God, it's crazy to think about, but that was like five or six years ago now. Holy Gross. shit, right? Like, yeah. I think of it as something that happened somewhat recently, but it's not uh, at all. <laughs> we we were young men back yeah, then. Yeah, we were children, Greg. <laughs> we were like 27. Um, now we're old men and there's no country for us. I know. I miss having a country. Um, but I, I remember uh, for some reason, somehow we were watching it and I didn't know it was directed by the Coen brothers. And so about 15 minutes before the movie ends, when uh, Tommy Lee Jones is talking to that retired cop in the wheelchair um, and just like waxing poetic about his career as a police officer... Mm-hmm. Um, I remember looking over at you and saying, if this were a Coen Brothers movie, it would just end right here without closure. And you just didn't say anything. And then like 10 minutes later, <laughs> the movie just ends without closure. And I see like Ethan and Joel Coen. I was like, motherfucker, they got me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What What's an experience. A... Yeah. Uh, so... This was my first watch since then, and honestly, it had been so long that I'd forgotten a lot of it. It kind of mm. came back to me as I watched it, but it was uh, it was almost like a first watch, you know. Like so, that was that was kind of neat. Um, what it about is. you, man? I, this how did this evolve into being your favorite movie? I saw it. Maybe like it, it won the Oscar for Best Picture in '08, and I was like okay, maybe I should pay attention to this one. I wasn't, you know, this was, like, towards the end of me being in high school. I wasn't really into movies too terribly much. Mm-hmm. Around when Netflix, like, first got started, I got a Netflix subscription to watch this movie because I was so intrigued by it. And then I forgot to cancel my, like, free trial and was really upset that I... <laughs> paid for a month of it after that i was like i just wanted to watch no country for old men on my (laughs) xbox 360 (laughs) no (laughs) so i watched it on my xbox 360 and bought the dvd later on after canceling netflix at the time and watched it in 09 again in 010 and just like after a while i was like i thought it was fine like i thought it was pretty good but like as i got older as i got to like appreciate uh, film a little bit more I was just coming back to this one seeing something new every single time I watched it and I kind of decided like in my early 20s at some point like okay like something is special about this movie and I don't want to like rush into it and like oversaturate myself and just like um get tired of it or bored of it too quickly or anything so i committed myself to only watching this movie once per calendar year and just seeing how that felt like where that got me i don't know why i don't remember the exact context of that (laughs) but good rule though it just kind of happened i was like i don't want to like you know you like you find a new a new song you like and you just listen to it over and over and over and on repeat and after like a month or so you're just sick of it like every time you hear it you're like oh this shit again so i was like i'll give it some space give it some time let it marinate and just like try to space it out between viewings and i think that helped me a lot and then 
I created my Critiker account in like 2012, I want to say 2011. And started, that's when I started like actually rating movies. And mm -hmm. I put this one as a perfect score because I was like, this movie is completely fantastic. So kept going, kept looking for reasons to knock it down. And year after year, just watching it once a year, still zero reason to knock it down. For whatever reason, this just stayed perfect score. I'm not going to spoil the Critiker score. Perfect score, kept it as a favorite movie, and still to this day watch it once a year, every year, per calendar year. So I have a hard line opening question about that score. Mm -hmm. um, but first, do you want to give a synopsis? And I yeah. also love watching you love this. Hey, hell yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of forgot to summarize the plot here. Uh, no Country for Old Men is... Uh, based on the book with the same title by Cormac McCarthy. I believe it came out a couple years before. Uh, this is the Coen Brothers' first adapted screenplay. Every movie they every movie they done from like Fargo to um, holy shit, Big Lebowski had had since been um, written and directed by Joel and Ethan Coen. Mm -hmm. uh, this is their first foray into adapting a book into film, and they won an Oscar for adapting the screenplay. Side note, it is the story of just West Texas, 1980. An unassuming man, while while hunting on a friend's uh, property, hunting for deer, comes across a drug deal gone wrong. All there is is cars, shot up bodies, shot up cars, blown out windows, a pile of drugs in a truck bed, and a satchel of money on the last man standing who tried to escape the crime scene. Uh, this man is Llewellyn Moss, and it's sort of following his journey as he finds the money, decides he's going to keep it, understands that people are looking for it, escapes town with his wife, and is being hunted and chased by both law enforcement, the people that own the money, and the people that own the money have sent after them, which is multiple parties. We'll get into that. Oh, Anton Chigurh is one of those parties. He's played by Javier Bardem. He is... What I would say, what, like... Just one of the best villain characters ever put on film. Yes. He is sent to find the satchel of money, estimated at around $2 million. The same satchel that you see in the movie Fargo. It's a fun little tidbit. Oh shit! I didn't. I didn't realize that. If it's not the same prop, it's the same model. That's really cool. Yeah, there you go. You That's see? really really cool. <sighs> so, <clears throat> Shigur is following Llewellyn Moss, trying to find the money. Moss sends his wife over to the mother-in-law while he tries to shake people off, take out whoever's following him. This is attracting a lot of attention from the sheriff that um, presides over the town that Moss is from. He's trying to protect Moss from the people that are after him because he understands the, uh, the severity of what he's done. So he's just looking to protect him. And... I'm not doing a great job at summarizing the plot itself, I think. You love it too much to summarize it. There's so much to say. I want to savor it a little bit more. Yeah, dude. Take your time, brother. This is a one-movie episode. That's right. 
So yeah, um, going a little quickly here, Moss finds ways to evade the people after him, but uh, spoiler, spoiler, spoilers, please watch the movie before listening to the episode. Thanks, goodbye, welcome back, thank you for watching the movie first. <laughs> Moss is killed by uh, Mexican gang members that were also sent after the bunny before the sheriff, played by Tommy Lee Jones, could save him. Um, Shigur is none too happy about this. What a psychopath. He is... <laughs> oh my gosh. He decides that, you know what? I'm going to get that money. I'm going to kill everybody that inconvenienced me. I'm getting the hell out of here. So, shit, man. <laughs> At the crux of this movie, Tommy Lee Jones playing Sheriff Ed Tom Bell... He is the titular old man in No Country for Old Men, I believe. And this story is basically just him realizing that crime these days, the way things are going, he is outmatched in the way things are headed. He is not cut out for the future, and he is retiring a little bit early from police work. He's coming to grips with that. He feels like he has failed Moss because he couldn't save him. He feels, he feels outmatched by the evil the force of chaos and evil that is Anton Chigurh and just decides to call it a day call it a career call it he's, a life he's pretty much right and he's, <laughs> he is absolutely right oh man I I, 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 glan I glanced over a lot of things simplified a lot of things but I, I, I think that's yeah if you've seen it you get it I hope you've seen it if you're still listening oh I thought you meant me I was like fucking watched it with you <laughs> denny did you see the movie um hard line opening question after a great synopsis yeah yeah it hit me this movie gets a 40 out of 40 yes it does Spoilers. only other movie to ever get a 40 from you is everything everywhere all at once which i mm -hmm. rejoiced at mm -hmm. however two dogs died in this movie you dock a point if a dog dies is this movie a 42 on the Greg scale? 42 out of 40, objectively. We only see one dog die. Um, but so 41. 41 out of 40? If, if it yeah. were for the dog rule? I'd say so. All I'd right. Say so. But All that right. dog was a mean, nasty son of a bitch. Yeah. He was more of a green room dog. Yeah, he was a little more green room dog, a little less my dog Skip or Marley and me. Yeah, so. <laughs> he's kind of the scrappy do of the dog. Mm. We're gonna let he's it the, slide. The Cohen brothers' take on scrappy do, on scrappy do. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> kind of, maybe. That's let's, a, that's a, let's tell that's ourselves a tough that. I think it's important to tell ourselves that. Mm -hmm. um, Boy, is it! I have a fun fact for you. It is probably the only fun fact I will tell you that you don't already know about this movie. We'll see if that's true. Go ahead. Well. Well. During his 2008, some would say career peak, WWE stint. I don't know this fact. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you were right. I didn't know. Chris Jericho um, had a very acclaimed run as a top heel that he said that he drew inspiration for his character from Anton Chigurh. What's the most you ever lost in a Money in the Bank match? Uh, <laughs> my push, brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's been traveling 
from the top rope to get here, and now he's here. Yeah. And it's either RKO or fucking SummerSlam. <laughs> SummerSlam is a move, yes. Yep. It sure is. You gotta be careful what time of year you do it, though, because the move changes. <laughs> That's right. Don't Holy try shit. to pull off a SummerSlam in December. It never works. Always gets reversed. Mm-mm. 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 You get plus one slam from the seasonal affect. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this is getting weird. Uh, speaking of fun facts, uh, I did want to mention a movie that we did cover already that I wasn't a part of the discussion. It was covered by the Clusterfuck Boys and yourself. Yes. There Will Be Blood. Also from 2007. Crazy. Uh, also up for Best Picture, lost to this movie. I gotta say, if somebody prefers that movie... Like, these movies get compared a lot. Yeah. Similar landscapes. Um, at one point, while filming these movies, the oil fire from There Will Be Blood was pluming smoke in the background of the shot of this movie. So they had to hold off shooting No Country for Old Men because There Will Be Blood was kicking up smoke in the background. Wow. Out in West Texas. So <laughs> there's a lot of comparison between the two. If That's there will insane. Be... They were oh, that yeah. close to each other? Yeah, for sure. I'm... West <sighs> Texas is fucking gigantic and empty and <laughs> sprawling, so it and makes they... sense. God, that's it... amazing. If There Will Be Blood is your preferred movie of the two and like you think it should have won best picture or whatever like it's your favorite i have all the time in the world to hear that out i think that movie is incredible fantastic top 20 film ever for me i gotta say and if you prefer that one over this one i have zero issue with that i think they're both so fantastic and i think it's so cool and special that we got like two unbelievably fantastic films like right after the one right after the other like i think that's so amazing what a year man what a year for movies 07 was you're really selling me on it i didn't realize these both came out that year oh yeah both oh, were yeah. shot in annoyance of each other that year, <laughs> within annoying distance of each other oh exactly um so yeah, I, I forget where I was going initially, but I did have a question for you yes. to kind of get started talking about some of the characters in this movie. Uh, a lot of a lot of people in the professional psychiatric field say that Anton Chigurh is the most accurate portrayal of a psychopath in film. Hmm. What do you think of that? Do you agree with that? All of film ever. That's a big statement to make. Um, I will say... I like that he's not sexed up. You know, like... He's not... Patrick Bateman, for example. Yeah. You know, like... he's, And that's, that's much more realistic. Because, like... A true uh, sociopath, psychopath... Really, what we'd say that now is... Antisocial personality disorder... Um, they're going to have a lot of superficial charm. They're just going to seem like a normal, nice person when you meet them. Um, it's, it's hard for me to say, like, 
that what he did was a realistic portrayal because first of all i don't have a lot of experience working with this diagnosis um i don't think anyone does because for a uh, for context kind of... for context denny is a professional therapist licensed yes. therapist he he studies mental health so this yes. is his this is his field that's why i asked if you and, didn't know that yeah and and i have worked with antisocial personality disorder before and it was about as fun as you'd think um <laughs> but um i guess it's hard for me to say like yeah i know that's super realistic because i don't i've never seen like ted bundy make a phone call or go to a gas station you know like i don't i don't know what that's like um Honestly, I think if you compare like station. Ted Bundy in court to Anton, Ted Bundy seems more like a movie character. Hmm. Like if you've ever watched like the Ted Bundy tapes and like have the recordings of like the case he was making about like how he was being abused because he was served shitty grilled cheeses at, in jail and how he wasn't going to accept that treatment while he is like representing himself for like a charge of like 20 murders that seems more like a Coen Brothers character to me, like the kind of kind of guy you'd find in a Big Lebowski or a Fargo, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. than Anton does. And so, in that sense, I'd say, and I think that's what makes him such a cool villain is he's he's so uh, human, but not right. Mm -hmm. Like he's so like he has some like cat saving moments where he's kind of charming, and it seems like he has a kind of cool code. He's also like really smart and super badass you know like that's that's like these like he has these endearing qualities um but then he just like constantly like shoots innocent people in the head with an oxygen tank you know <laughs> like mm -hmm. it's so like he's evil um I, I i i i don't know that i can answer your question with like actual like clinical expertise you know like but like as a guy who knows a lot about mental health and a guy who knows a lot about movies, I'd say they struck like the perfect balance between a human being and Darth Vader. Mm. Very nice. Yeah. You, you brought up like five topics that I want to like dive into like way deeper, but I'm Go trying to it. stay, I'm trying to stay focused. Oh, okay. Day. I'm not, I'm one tired at a time. And my meds have worn off and <laughs> there's nothing focused about me and i'm hungry <laughs> oh no he's yeah. hungry all right some pasta later Ooh, good man yeah, sounds delicious uh I, I gotta say i think sugar javier bardem's performance i think this is my i don't want to say favorite i think this is the best acting performance i've ever seen in a film it's pretty fantastic For, for me i i think this one's the best i think my favorite has to go to the old colonel hans landa from inglorious bastards yeah. i think that's my favorite just unfucking believable we'll talk about that one day maybe oh, in this leave we haven't covered that maybe in this series we'll do this but oh, yeah shit. <sighs> that would be a good time but yeah i i think javier bardem his his iconic haircut he basically just like picked up a uh, a magazine of like haircut ideas or like haircut templates from the yeah. 70s and told the uh whoever was doing his hair and makeup like that's the haircut i want he just picked like a random picture and was like this one yeah and that was his look for the movie it's such terrific a, it's such a goofy ass haircut 
and it like totally fits for some reason it just like works with this character and it's so like stupid looking it's a stupid haircut (laughs) it's a a stupid looking haircut but he he doesn't strike me as a guy that want to waste a chair or that would care about his haircut (laughs) yeah oh he only cares about one thing and it's that fargo satchel that's right do you think Dude, he killed I, Steve Buscemi? No, wait. We are, I don't think he that, we, we, we have answers for that question. Sorry. <laughs> he, did not, <laughs> he did not put Buscemi in a wood chipper. Uh, I did want to compare this movie to Fargo because I felt like that movie was kind of a practice run for this one. Yeah. We, we've talked about Fargo on this show, and I think I mentioned that when we talked about it. It felt like it was a practice run for this film where you've got the, you know, two main characters that one's a good guy and then one's the bad guy but they're neither of them are really good guys and then like 20 or so minutes into the movie you're introduced to the law enforcement officer who's actually your main character oh shit the story pacing is really similar and comparing etan bell to uh is it marge from fargo sounds right but i don't know I'll look it oh up. shoot! I'm gonna look like a fool. Francis McDormand. Francis McDormand is the character's name, yes. <laughs> Famously. Hold on, I've almost got it. It is Billy Bob Thornton. Shit, no. <laughs> God damn it! It's the that's, show. That's the TV show. <laughs> Fargo, 1996. Okay, her name is William H Macy. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Francis it is. McDormand. It, it is Marge. Marge Gunderson. Okay. <laughs> So Francis McDormand as William H. Macy, um, a really shameless approach to the character. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like the two movies really married each other, and I've I've got the book right here. Here it is on camera, hey, just for Denny, not for you wow, guys. Wow, that looks like a Harry Potter book. What? It's a no, hardcover with pages, and that's... Uh, there's the... words on the pages? Yeah, it looks just like a Harry Potter book. Yeah. It has a cover, a title, and words on pieces of paper, so it looks just. Are there like a other Harry books? Book. This is only the second book I've ever seen. So, <laughs> <laughs> the first one is Chamber of Secrets, of course. Oh, oh, Chamber. <laughs> it, like Cormac McCarthy's writing feels like a script for a Coen Brothers film. Mm-hmm. There, I cannot believe they haven't done more of his movies. Or, I'm sorry, the Co- I cannot believe the Coen brothers have not adapted more of his books. I understand you can't just, like, keep drilling that same well. It's a there will be blood thing, I hey. guess. Uh, but, yeah, I, I've read this book once before, and I'm going through it once more. And this book is basically like a script for the movie. The way that Cormac McCarthy writes, it's very plain and simplistic to the point he does a very good job at um, giving you the visual of what's going on in a certain setting, but the dialogue is very concise and to the point, and so much of the dialogue in the book is just ripped straight out and put into this movie. Dude, that's how you should adapt. That's how you do it. It's it's very faithful adaptation. I mentioned at the beginning that it did win an Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay, because I think it's a fantastic uh, example of just pulling out what you need 
to make the story make sense, convey everything that was conveyed in the book, and just faithfully present the visuals as they were kind of interpreted in your head. Mm -hmm. uh, Roger Deakins' cinematography, which was nominated for an Oscar, didn't win, because I think There Will Be Blood won cinematography that year, uh, really landed hand to just like showing what the book portrayed. So mm -hmm. everything was prevent presented exactly as the the uh, the book intended. I think it's a terrific adaptation of a book into film, and I wish more of Cormac McCarthy's books were better interpreted in film because this isn't even my favorite book of his. I think I've read like five or six of his books, mm -hmm. and this one's somewhere in the middle. I think it's really cool, mostly because I like the movie so much, but like the road is probably my favorite book of his mm -hmm. and that is a movie with Viggo Mortensen and I think the kid from the power of the dog I think that's him in the movie Cody Smith McPhee and I think the movie's just fine but there's just something like I think this is where why it lands so highly on my in my favorite list is just like this perfect marriage of like source material and filmmaker just it seems like just a sh completely shared vision executed perfectly and like also just something that just strikes a lot of interest in me personally yeah so there's, I think there, there's a lot going on to make me just absolutely love this the care that they put into how they handled the source material as you're describing it really tracks with the one word i would sum this movie up with and it's craftsmanship um mm. just like the whole movie seems like everything they did they were in perfect control of the environment of the cameras of everything that, like it just seems like everything is so carefully fucking placed like it's mm -hmm. almost obnoxious how how well done like every shot of the movie is and how like even just like little things you notice like stuff you don't see a lot in movies where i'm like there's a, there's a scene where like uh Llewellyn's truck is pulling in somewhere and we got like a shot of it turning off the road and then a shot of it parking um and i'm like when i thought about it i was like the setup like that was like a crane shot to get that little like three second insert of him turning into the parking lot um, like the work that they had to do to have that quick little bit, you know, like that, like mm -hmm. you could have just had him park his car and we would have gotten the idea, but that they put like, I just can't imagine the effort that went into this movie. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I was going to like try to pick down like a, an aspect, but it sounds like even in the adaptation process, they were just like plank by plank erecting this sturdy house. Mm-hmm. Oh, Absolutely. And, like, during the... It was something I saw on YouTube. It was, like, during the scene where uh, Llewellyn finds the transponder in the satchel of money. Mm -hmm. And uh, Shigura shoots the lock off the door. And he, like... Um, Moss jumps out the window and tries escaping. He tries to get in the truck with the guy. But the guy gets shot by Shigura. And they kind of have a little shootout in the street. That scene is just like a nighttime empty street in Texas. And 
Deacons, the cinematographer was basically saying like, yeah, we had like 40 some odd lights on all the roofs and we were had we had to get consistent control of every lighting in every shot. And it was he had like you sh he showed like drawn diagrams of like where lights needed to be on the roof to make like a consistently beautiful sequence of events for like a kind of a quick paced action scene. Um, so you're talking about craftsmanship. It's just like, yeah, so much detail went in and thought went into every single aspect of this movie, even if it was just like a quick one-off sequence. Yeah. Very cool shit. It, it reminds me of like, the only other movie I can really think of where I felt like they had like that kind of attention to detail. And this movie is attention to detail on another level. Um, but it's Fellowship of the Ring. Um, mm. Like, a shot that comes to mind that reminds me of that truck shot I was just describing is, like, Frodo getting into Gandalf's cart. And they stopped doing the little things like this as the trilogy went on. But, like, they have Elijah Wood on the hill. They have Elijah Wood in the cart. And then... They have a little person dressed up as Frodo jumping from the hill to the cart. And you can see his whole body. And it's like, whoosh, like super quick. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, God, the like, the effort it took to get that body double. When like lesser movies would have just done less. Right? You know, like, mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's, this movie is just filled with so many things like that, that you don't like really notice but your brain does. Yeah. Right? Like, you don't stop and be like, God, two shots of the car pulling into the parking lot. What a film. You know, like, but like, <laughs> but I'm saying those little things add up into an experience that your brain really likes. And you mm -hmm. don't even really know the difference, but like, you're, you know, you're seeing something special. You know you're seeing something that you don't see when you throw on fucking, I don't know, cock blockers is the movie that comes to mind for some reason. <laughs> blockers, that's right. what it's called, blockers. Um, I don't know, man. It, it's just like, it's a symphony. It's a little bit of a symphony. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you're talking about uh, the Fellowship of the Ring. All that effort to try to sell you on a fantasy, and this movie is trying to sell you on a sense of gritty realism Ooh, yeah it's like to a fault <laughs> <laughs> realistic to a fault because this shit is grim baby yes Ooh. Ooh. and that's kind of like i wanted to talk about the ending with you okay my issue is not that it's grim my issue is not that it's ambiguous it's that it's really anticlimactic. Like, to the point that I, like, don't know the movie is over when I'm watching it. It's, like, my one thing about the movie that I'm, like... You had to end it in some way like they ended it. Like, a movie like this, with the themes you're addressing... You need a rare bad guy victory. And you need, mm -hmm. a, and you need a lack of closure. And it's... I don't want to spoil any Coen Brothers movies for you, but... They, <laughs> <laughs> All of them have a lack of closure, and it seems that their life's work is to tell you that life is not a fucking narrative. <laughs> Just drill that message into your head with, like, 40 movies. Um, but, yeah, it, 
the rest of the movie is so satisfying to me and then those closing moments leave me wanting but not like in a i'm supposed to be feeling this right now way Mm -hmm. you hear what i'm saying do you feel something similar what do you feel when you get the ending i think the first couple times i watched it i absolutely felt the same way um i because this movie is no country for old men in the title and i like i said ed tom is the main character there's just like such an underhanded emotion in what he's talking to his wife about with the dreams he's having yeah and like deep breath like the emotion i get when he says like he sees his dad carrying the flame and all that dark and all that cold his delivery of that line like gets me every single time and in the book i opened it right here i I noticed you were flipping pages i figured you were about to cite a source there's the the movie opens with a voiceover monologue from tommy lee jones as ed tom kind of talking about the old days his dad as a sheriff um other sheriffs from other counties that he knew and that's the same way the book opens and you know it's that's all like italicized in the books and the movie end sorry the book ends the same way and there's a few more instances throughout the book where it's just like an internal monologue from the mind of the sheriff ed tom and the book ends with like a couple more like he talks about the dreams he has but he has a couple more closing thoughts too like there's a lot more story there and i feel like it's ending the movie on that scene is kind of a again like i said they they cut out what they needed to to convey the story that was written in the book and they cut out a couple of extra monologues but i don't think those extra monologues would have provided some sense of closure the book doesn't end with a lot of closure again yeah. like this is a marriage made in heaven why the for... Cullens liked it so much exactly like <laughs> the book ends like a coen brothers movie i think and it's just so does the movie <laughs> you see <laughs> So yeah, like at the end of the day, there was a little bit more, but I think showing a little bit less, but conveying those same ideas was a great way to end the film. And I, I come to appreciate the ending a lot more the more times I watch it, and mm-hmm. I, I I find myself hanging on to every last word that that uh, Tommy Lee Jones says, knowing that this is where the movie ends because at the end of the day he was the main character all along this was in a sense all about him even though maybe it wasn't you know yeah i i think maybe that's part of the issue for me at least is like this movie feels like it's about anton sugar and Mm -hmm. we spend so little time with tommy lee jones that i like kind of forgot about him for a while you know like and maybe that's something that works better in a book than in a movie um i'm i'm thinking about what's going on with anton you know like while while we're getting that closing monologue um Mm -hmm. 
and it just feels like it ends without one more scene to me yeah i i've watched this movie with other people that have felt the same way yeah and i've wanted to like look for like okay what else would there be to show and the last we see of Anton Chigurh is he has kind of completed his journey and he gets a little bit extra with he gets into a car accident. He is uh, horrifically injured and he walks away with a broken arm in like a t-shirt sling and just fades away into the sunset. And I'm saying that with a cringe on my face because that's <laughs> the most anti-heroic walking away into the sunset that I've ever seen in a movie and it's just like what else would they have done with the character i guess well what if they did less what if it ends with him just coming out of the house because i think that's kind of like they introduce all this new stuff and get me excited and then that's just the end of the movie and i guarantee that's what they wanted to do but i don't i don't like it i i I think i think i I think I'm, point, I'm pointing Greg's to the book. Pointing at the book. Um, I only read. Uh, I only read books about how to be a better therapist. Uh, <laughs> and, and and Waldo books. Well, I don't read them. I look at them. I haven't been this upset by a book since Waldo went to that barbell pole factory. <laughs> so your thirty rope quote of the week. Um, yeah, I think for me. I think they should have done less. I think that, like, chilling scene of him just, like, talking about the coin flip, her telling him, you have the power, I won't call it. And then he just walks out of the house. And And checks his boots. Yep. And you know what happened. Yep. Um, I think that's where credits should have rolled for me. I don't think we needed the car crash and the the protruding bone and the the shirt and, and the sunset. I think it was kind of necessary just to kind of say like, hey, he's like, like Llewellyn said, is this guy supposed to be the ultimate badass or something? No, he's not a god. He's still a man. He gets distracted by looking at the kids on their bikes in his rearview mirror and that like break in his focus. And there should have been a four way stop at that intersection, by the way. It really bothered me, the it, city planning. In the book the person that hits him runs a red light Uh and gets thrown out of the windshield so it was an accident but he would have been ready for it if he hadn't let his guard down to be like ah man kids riding bikes remember being a kid or whatever and i I think it's an important like established like final note on the character to remind everybody like hey like this seemed like an all-powerful force of evil and chaos through the entire feature but at the end of the day, he is still a person that is susceptible to life's curveballs. Yeah. And I'm fine with him ending that way. Um, I don't know if that helps you at all, but well, that's, that's, more that's of a, where I land on it. It's more of a book ending than a movie ending, which is also what they did for True Grit. Uh, they were way too true to the book's ending, and it didn't play as well on film. Um, mm, interesting. And oh, yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie since theaters, yeah. I only watched it once. I liked it. I remember liking it, but the was ending good. was very much a book ending, and um, not that I read books, especially not Western. <laughs> we don't read books here. Yeah. Um, don't get it confused. We... We're not 
I want to do like the pretentious, illiterate Zach Galifianakis bit. Yeah. Excuse me, I watch things. <laughs> I already told you we don't know how to read. Yeah. Like, don't don't get it confused. We don't read books here on the podcast. Yeah. This is one of the few books I've read and like <laughs> liked. Yeah. So no, as 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 someone who. I don't have the depth of appreciation for this movie that you have. Um, and that's fine. I, I And I totally see your point about all that. And I'm just like, yeah. And it felt disjointed to me because we hadn't really been having this conversation about Anton's humanity. It's like kind of a disjointed thing to tack on at the end that I've got to think just worked a lot better in the book. Well, I guess I'll have to finish reading it again. <laughs> yeah, let me know how but, it goes. <clears throat> yeah, I think for me it just... It doesn't matter that much, and I don't think there's a better way to portray that. I don't think putting something like that in the middle of the film would have worked for me. I understand what you're saying, and I'm not, I'm not like arguing against it in any way. But <laughs> I guess I haven't thought about it in that way. I guess that's all I'm. That's all it boils down to, really. Yeah, yeah. It worked for you. It didn't work for me. Sometimes that's like the whole story, you know. <laughs> like with subjective mm -hmm. things, like movies, is like, oh yeah, that worked for me, and uh, I don't know about that. And that's all we're really talking about, right? <laughs> like, yeah, and like these are the finer, finer points that we very rarely this is why we need to do more one movie episodes yes which we are from now on like we get to kind of go back and forth on these finer finer points of like what works and what doesn't and what the hell i, I, I think that's all over <laughs> what the heck i i think it's awesome that uh, we get to kind of flesh this one out a little bit better. I agree, so. man. I agree. This is a format improvement. Like, if we were doing Damn. two other movies, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have had this discussion. Yeah, if we had to also talk about Alien and fucking <laughs> the Wrestler or whatever. <laughs> if if we were doing two other movies, I wouldn't be doing this podcast right now because I'd be like, "Fuck it, we're taking the week off. I'm in too bad of a mood to do like two and a half hours of this." <laughs> I'm. <laughs> That's right. I'm trying to elevate your mood. It's only been an You're, hour of working, recording so brother. far. It's working, brother. It's working. You are elevating yes. my mood. Yes. Hey, speaking of elevated moods, only the Coen brothers could pull off this deathly serious, somber, fucking macabre film in just gritty realism, and then they introduce you simultaneously to steven root and woody harrelson as yes. your new characters just in the middle of the movie they're just hanging out they're just there one scene <laughs> <laughs> just like here's where they meet who are they well let's find out together yeah. <laughs> what a fucking feature man god damn yeah. steven root is one of my favorite favorite actors i love him he's in so many bad. things he's never he's bad. never He's never bad. King of the Hill, Office Space, Barry, Barry, oh Barry, Fuchs, and uh, Woody Harrelson. Fun fact: I was talking about uh, Ed Tom's monologues. He talks about a, a hitman that killed a judge, 
yeah. in one of his opening monologues, the hitman that killed a judge in Texas is a real story, and the hitman that did it was Her- Woody Harrelson's father. Whoa. Like in real life? Like in real life, yeah. Holy shit, Woody Harrelson's dad was a hitman? Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that's how it goes, but he was hired to kill a judge in Texas. That was Woody Harrelson's father. Damn. So, That's connections cool. all over the place. And then, <laughs> that connection is presented to us at the same time as our old pal with the red stapler. Uh, <laughs> Stephen <laughs> Root. I, like, two of the most fuck-around actors I've ever seen that yeah. deliver, like, extremely incredible character comedy uh, performances. And, like, Stephen Root is the least fuck-around character I've ever seen in a movie. Oh, yeah. Here. He this is, this just, is his, like, least funny role ever. <laughs> he's all business, doesn't take anybody's shit. It just, like, I want more of this character, I but I think they give us just enough where it's just, like, there's something so sinister. You're, like, he's in this office building, so, like, obviously, like, the drug stuff is, like, what's going on underneath his legit business whatever yeah. that is that he's in charge of clearly in this tall office building that's missing a floor we'll get someone to look into that <laughs> and like you don't know what his legit job is you don't know how he's in control of this whole uh drug situation you just know that he's the guy in charge and he does not fuck around yeah and they pick steven root to play that man <laughs> And it's perfect. I second guessed if it was Steven Root because it was so unlike his normal characters that I was like, mm-hmm. no, I think it just really looks like him. Nah, shit. Yeah, that is Steven Root. Okay, okay. Like, but it was like he was doing such a different <laughs> performance that I thought it wasn't Steven Root for a minute. And like, like I said, I watched this like late high school. I had watched Office Space like a couple times by that point. It was just like, no, I'm. I, I know who this is. Yeah. But it seems wrong. <laughs> There's no way that's actually him. Uh, but lo and behold, it is actually Fuchs. <sighs> the Rootster himself. Dude, on that note, with Harrelson's Carson, his mm-hmm. death was a really good example of awesome lack of closure. Like, right when like we get introduced to him, then we don't see him for a while... And then we start getting really interested in him when he when he tracks down uh, uh, Thanos, uh, Goonies, uh, Josh Brolin, uh, Lou, yeah. Lou Allen. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, Surprised right, it took us this long. <laughs> right when we start getting really interested in him, um, they just like, boom, shoot him in the head. He's just, he's just gone. Like, it was such mm-hmm. a good, like, when you want to play around with narrative expectations. Um holy shit man that was that was money you think he has plot armor you're like oh he can't die he has stuff he has to do in this plot bam dead <laughs> like just dead he's not gonna get to do all that stuff you thought he was gonna get to do <laughs> it's not gonna happen he's not really important get... to this movie at all he's dead <laughs> oh, and that's illustrated in two ways I wanted to save this for gimmicks because it is a runner-up for the gimmick of the week, but that is my favorite scene in the movie. Mm -hmm. Not the coin toss scene, which is brilliant, fantastic tension building, 
and <laughs> it's just shot reverse shot perfect acting love it from um Shigur and the guy from hateful eight it's his haberdashery after all um but yeah wells and Shigur, their back and forth scene in the eagle hotel is my favorite scene in the entire movie because of ex like exactly what you're talking about just subverting expectations of like he kind of feels like a savior to moss yeah. in the moment you know he's like he knows who anton Chigurh is he knows where the money is he's kind of here to help he feels like he's here to help he's kind of the bridge between moss and the world that moss doesn't realize that he's gotten into and Shigur, since they have a history together, I guess just knows what he's going to do and just holds him hostage in the place he just murdered somebody in. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. And oh, I've got like five things to say about the scene. It's so perfect. Holy shit. Uh, it's, it's the best scene in the movie. Both of the performances are fantastic. The way that scene is shot... It looks like Javier Bardem's eyes are like 10 times bigger than they were in the rest of the movie. Yeah. They just look gigantic, and he's just staring into the soul of Woody Harrelson's character. And oh, Wells was talking to Moss in the hospital, you know, across the border and saying like, Shigur isn't somebody that's motivated by money. He doesn't care about this. He'll kill you just for the inconvenience. Mm -hmm. And not five minutes later in the film, he's saying, I've got a card. We can go to an ATM. There's 14 grand in there. We could just walk away and forget this whole thing. He, like, he just said not five minutes ago that this man isn't motivated by money or anything. Yeah, he's panicked. And he, He's panicked. He's playing all the cards that he has. And Sugar is just like, huh, an ATM. And <laughs> that's, all, that's all he said. <laughs> and you know he's just not bought into it. Their scene together is 100% perfect. Uh, the book goes into a lot more grisly detail on the death of Wells there. Oh, it's, it's played so fucking perfectly. And a detail that I think we talked about a little bit in your relationship, but I don't think we really dived into too much. Dove? Dived? Whatever. Divin? Divin. Yeah, divided into. <laughs> <laughs> the sound design in this film. Oh. Every audio detail in this film is perfect. I will note, like, what I was saying, I was like, I'm noticing something new every time. I would just crank it up a little bit louder every time I watched it. And especially in the Eagle Hotel, you hear Shigur's suppressed shotgun killing the uh the clerk at the at the at the front desk. And then he un it took me a few watches to realize he like unscrews a light bulb in the hallway to make it dark. I mean you like hear that pretty clearly. Oh, and like on the opposite side of like He touched a light bulb while I was hot. Ooh. Uh, maybe put a sleeve over it whatever he really is the see. ultimate badass <laughs> show through sound don't tell and where was I going with that like not only is there just like audio subtlety mm -hmm. 
in the scene we were just talking about the phone ringing is the loudest fucking thing i've ever heard in a movie wells has one last card to play and it's that he knows how to talk to llewellyn moss Mm -hmm. he can talk to him and say bring the money to me shigura seems confident that he can have wells or or, i'm sorry have moss bring the money to him or be brought to me and placed on my feet (laughs) etc but wells knows where he is and how to contact him and he says it just gives one last final plea and then the phone rings and it is the loudest most interrupting sound and then both of their reactions one is just this harrelson's just instant reaction of oh fuck because they both know who's on the other end of that phone yeah and shigur is just like giving a wry smile at his reaction and because they both instantly know who's calling yeah and just the sound of the phone ringing is just loud abrasive and just like perfect for like the emotion of the scene and then a few seconds go by a few rings go by and then wells is shot 12 out of 10 perfect scene zero notes perfectly acted but harrelson oh yeah go ahead do you think it would have thrown Anton if he picked up the phone and heard we've been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty and he'd already <laughs> killed Carson? <laughs> <I've>... <laughs> that would have really fucked things up. He rolled maybe the dice a, on that. <laughs> maybe just a touch. Not in the sense that you mean. <laughs> better, I know something better. I know how far the warranty's going to be extended. <laughs> He just has every phone conversation like that, like plays mental chess with telemarketers. <laughs> You're not getting this guy's money. I already shot him. <laughs> Holy shit. All right. You... Did I gush about enough things? I think you did, and I'm I'm running out of steam. I'm thinking about some leftover pasta I've got in the fridge. You've mentioned pasta so many times. I got good pasta, and I got enough for two servings on purpose. Because God knows I'm not making it. And Vanessa was busy this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool fact. Are you ready for gimmicks, Uh, brother? I think so. All right. Uh, like, Like you said with Beetlejuice... I feel like I said my piece. Like, I could go for another hour. Mm-hmm. Like, if you had zero, like, issue, If you weren't on the call, I could go for another hour about <laughs> shit. About shit that I just think is perfect and tremendous and, oh, my God. Well, then maybe we got to do a part two one day. And Even less so. country for old men. <laughs> hey, hey, if any of you want to watch it with me, just come watch it with me with the proper sound quality i'll I'll, br- I'll break my rule for a couple people okay that's all will reno is one of them for sure am i uh, denny ta- De- 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 denny you're another one i'm yes. touched don't, i'm touched don't don't, don't worry good uh, it goes without watch. saying <laughs> uh it's november we we only have to wait a couple more months before i can watch this again that's true but i wouldn't want you to like do a november january and then go so long without it you know Nah, I'll be fine. There's a reason I did this. 
there's just, plenty of other movies to watch. I just found a stupid note I wrote, and it's that Anton and Llewellyn would have the sickest life hacks TikTok if they would only put their differences aside and work together. Those guys are constantly MacGyvering shit. Like, they know how to get around in the world. <laughs> Boy, do they. Oh, by the way, yeah, I named my dog after Anton Chigurh. My wife got to pick the dog and I got to pick the name and it was Anton for years before we even got him. So my dog's name is Anton because of this movie. Now that I've seen it more recently, I'm going to be texting you more jokes about this movie, but about your dog. Please, I want that. If if Anton was the bad guy in this movie. (laughs) He's got the haircut for it. Boy, does he. (laughs) He can't flip a coin, though. He doesn't have thumbs. But he can probably put one on his nose and throw it up in the air. Uh-oh. Um, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he can't. Watch out. <laughs> I'll tell you what he can't do, Greg. Hmm. He can't call it for you. Oh, uh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> what's uh? What's your uh? What's your favorite or gimmick of the week? What's the gimmick of the week this week? The gimmick of the week is... Yes. Your favorite favorite. This is Greg's favorite movie, so we decided... We should double up on the favorites and mm. figure out what your favorite aspect of filmmaking is and your favorite way it is represented in this movie. Greg, what do you got for the gimmick of the week? Favorite, favorite. So, yeah, this will be a repeating gimmick for the next time we do this theme. I I had a hard time nailing that. Like, favorite filmmaking aspect is such a hard thing to really solidify throughout all my favorite movies. I picked my favorite Coen Brothers thing. I mentioned it in Fargo. Mm-hmm. And it's the the way they do shot reverse shot of just instead of cameras being um over the shoulder from one sorry, over the shoulder from one character to another, the cameras are back to back. Yeah. And you you see the opposite character to who's talking or to a main character existing within their own environment framed by themselves with whatever's in their background. And the Coen brothers do this perfectly, mm-hmm. amazingly. In this movie, it seems, and like I mentioned in Fargo, everyone just seems like they're plucked from the world that the movie is portraying. Yeah. And this is west texas shit to a t they i swear to god they just like got people doing their day jobs replaced a couple of props with 1980 specific props and just had them read lines straight from the book the the woman in the trailer home like management park like like her office that is verbatim from the book that entire scene we can't give out no information Mm -hmm. that whole thing is half a page of the book it is half a fucking page i just read it like (laughs) (laughs) and they they give so much attention to detail so much into the performance and like the authenticity of the person performing it that woman probably was sitting at that desk earlier that day when they cast her it's insane it's fucking amazing her big beehive fucking haircut it's all fantastic like the world that they build just by shooting a person in their natural environment and just letting them talk the way they talk Mm -hmm. so my favorite favorite is 
all of the side characters just selling the reality of this film. Yeah. You've got the guy picking up Llewellyn as the hitchhiker, the woman in the Regal Motel or the motel in Del Rio, the woman at the trailer park, the the guard in the um the border the border crossing uh, guard station. Everybody just seems like the Cohen brothers found them there and gave them a few lines to read in their own natural um <laughs> cadence and just let them live out those characters they felt so fleshed out so alive and so real that i don't see any other way that they did it besides it's who they actually are yeah so that's my favorite favorite in this movie awesome man beautiful 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 gimmick of the week um my favorite aspect of filmmaking is easier for me to pin down and it is story structure i'm a nerd about it i love it so much i think about it i i see screenplays when i watch movies sometimes i can just like envision it in my head and this is my favorite thing about this movie jesus 11 um the the story structure of this movie so like I have, like, the hero's journey in my office, like, printed out. I have hero's journey art. I, I know multiple story structures by memory. Um, and I can usually kind of figure out where we are in the movie. As, as I'm going through it, I can be like, hmm, seems like they just crossed a threshold. Um, ah, <laughs> gift of the goddess. You know, like, I can just kind of pinpoint little moments like that. Um, this movie, bro, I'd like to analyze it more on a few more watches, I don't got a fucking clue what they're doing story-wise. I don't got a Come on over. fucking clue what the structure of this story is. I've seen it twice, and I can't, I can't naturally just, like, intuitively pin down the plot points into where they fit in a larger structure. Yet I know it's working. You know, like, the whole movie, mm -hmm. I'm never like, why are we doing this right now? Like, why are we following... You know, like, it's just... I know they did something really, really right. And as someone who thinks about this way too much, it's even over my head what they did with the structure. You know, like I need mm -hmm. I need to see this movie like three more times so it's in my bones. And then I need to sit down and try to piece it together. You know, <laughs> like I'm sure there's some yeah. YouTube video that just explains it, but that's no fun. I don't want that. It's me. I want to earn it's it. It's me. It's crap. I have the YouTube video. <laughs> Come over it. Let's watch it. Yeah, like to kind of speak to that, like the twist, the twist, it's like, it's not even twist. Like any other movie, Llewellyn Moss's death would be like a huge twist in the film. Yeah. And watching this movie, it's like, yeah, no shit. Yeah. Of course he died. No shit. He got fucking he shot. He never it was had just a, a chance. <laughs> it's a question of who would have eventually done it. Yeah. And, it, oh fuck like the story structure of just like subverting expectations but not doing it in a way that's like aren't you surprised that this guy died right there's there's yeah there's two levels to it one is exactly that where it's just like oh didn't we surprise you by doing this thing and then the second level that just like makes it a much more fun film experience is just like we we kind of told you this was coming. Yeah. That's that's what happened here. Is like yeah, that makes fucking sense. I don't know what the fuck he was thinking. Of course he died. Like I'm I'm upset by it 
but <laughs> shit. Well, just like I mentioned with uh, Shigur, like he let his guard down. Sometimes characters let their guard down, and in this movie or in this story and in reality, when that happens, bad things happen. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's like you feel like they're telling you he stands no chance, so that you can so it can mean something when he overcomes the odds. Yeah, right. <laughs> like any other movie, that's why they would be telling you how grim his fate is. And then he just doesn't overcome the odds. They were just telling you the truth the whole time. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so fucking awesome. And they're just like, it's like you said, they're not even like showing it off. They're just like, okay, cool. Keep up. Yeah, that's right. We're about, yeah. we're about three steps ahead of you. You'll keep up. Come on. We're, we're, we're doing a movie here. Focus. You know, <laughs> like try, like, try to follow this. <laughs> Something important's about to happen. <laughs> beer doesn't lead to more beer. It, it leads sometimes to this. Yeah. So hope you were paying attention. Greg, what is your favorite line? Hmm. My favorite line. I wanted to give it to exactly what I was talking about with my other gimmick, with my favorite favorite. Uh, West Texas ladies being shown in their natural habitat. <laughs> I really wanted to give it to the lady at the uh, Del Rio Motel saying, It's got two double beds. <laughs> Which is flawless delivery. And that's the line that made me realize like okay they just they just picked up the woman that was actually working at this moment (laughs) (laughs) it didn't change anything but my favorite line is from my favorite scene between wells and shigur where shigur asks let me ask you something if the rule you followed brought you to this of what use was the rule flawless delivery it's the only time where it seems like he's maybe not gloating but just kind of like <sighs> relishing in the situation and he had he says at some point like you should admit your situation there would be more dignity in it mm-hmm. i think earlier in that scene and that feels like a little piece of gloating yeah and it's just like we don't know a lot about wells but we know that there is a sort of vanity in Wells's pursuit of Shigur. And that kind of echoes later in Ed Tom's conversation with Ellis, the guy in the wheelchair. So like, you can't chase what's coming. Um, that's vanity. Yeah. And it's just like the vanity of law enforcement, the vanity of in your old age, trying to adapt to the new and like maybe the vanity to life itself it's just like one of the minor echoes of the main themes of the film so that's my favorite line hell yeah how about you um i went with a gag one but it stood out to me the most it's not nearly as profound hell yeah um anton chigurh saying what business is it of yours where i'm from friendo because it confirms that anton posts on the rare pupper subreddit and i'm sure that uh, all of his Instagram posts are just pupper speak. Because uh, he's a fucking friendo. <laughs> what business is it of yours where I'm from? Friendo. That's, that's the most threatening friendo I've ever heard. <laughs> the only threatening friendo I've ever heard. <laughs> Who can make that threatening? None other. The great Anton. The great Anton. Well, Greg, we've already discussed your critic or score. Do you want to say it again for the record? 
I really do. Because we don't um, get to hear this a lot. So you got to say it enough. Yeah, I got to justify it, too. Um, I texted Denny all throughout my watch through of it the other night. And I just said, this is perfect. Everything they do is perfect. The adaptation is perfect. The cinematography is perfect. The performances are perfect. Everything in this movie is perfect. I think you can nitpick some certain stuff like the shotgun that Shigur uses wasn't invented yet. Mm -hmm. Who the fuck gives a shit? Yeah. This is like, per this is just perfect filmmaking, perfect storytelling, and every single time I watch it, I'm not looking to like poke holes or find flaws. I'm just looking to enjoy it. And every single time I do it, I'm not like, yeah, this is what I like. I'm just reminded, holy shit, there's no wasted motion. This actually is perfect. This is incredible. This is fascinating. I'm in love with the story. I'm in love with the filmmaking. And even after all that, there's still something that I can't describe. There's still something about the movie that I'm just like, I don't know what it is. There's just an indescribable connection to it. And I think that's why I gave Everything Everywhere all at once um, a 40 as well. Yeah. It's just like, there's just the, with film, like having a movie just give you the indescribable and just giving you something that you connect to. And like, not everybody has to, but I feel like this with this movie, a lot of people do just like that connection that just cannot be explained with words and i feel like this is maybe i have my guard up too much but this is one of the movies no, that does it don't for let me. your guard down if we learned one thing <laughs> that's right oh yeah, that's true you i don't want to get hit die, by die greg <laughs> i don't want to get hit by a car so i think that um this movie is a 40 out of 40 perfect score zero notes it's the best movie ever made for me beautiful beautiful i celebrate that with you my brother i love watching you love things um for me this is one of the best movies ever made um it's really high up hell there. yeah um the the points i discussed about the ending keep it away from getting a 50 from me um i gave it a 48 out of 50 um but that's a pretty damn high compliment as well. You know, <laughs> like I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm crazy about this movie, man. I really love it. Oh, only a near perfect score. Yeah. Like I, I don't give a shit. Like as long as I can walk away from this conversation with you, like appreciating what I appreciate. Oh, that you started, Mission accomplished. you started this conversation with me appreciating what you appreciate. There we go. I have, I have reverence for this movie, and it's only increased <laughs> by, by your profound reverence for it. I love it. I can't wait to watch it again. I'll watch it again with you. I feel like every time needs to be with you now. Hell yeah! I'm down for that. Annual tradition, brother! Only twice. That needs to change. Let's have a sleepover. I've got a air mattress. Ooh. Yeah. I'm, uh, Let's do it. I'm refusing to sleep anywhere but my own bed for the rest of my life, so... <laughs> Uh oh, I'm I have I have a mental illness that requires sleep regulation, and I have back problems. So <laughs> that's, that's that's enough. Then I'm then I'm coming to you. I've got the Blu-ray. All right. <laughs> <laughs>
48 out of 50. Not bad. I'd say fantastic. Good discussion. I feel like I got everything out there that I needed to get out there, even though I definitely had more to say. Yeah. Uh, that just begs the question, Denny. Normally, I would ask what the best movie is for when you want to discuss your favorite movie, but that feels like not the right time yet. Yeah. We'll discuss more of our favorite movies in the future. I'm very glad to have done this one with you, man. Me too, man. Uh, I was in exactly the right mindset, headspace, to talk about this one today on this Monday evening. Can't imagine any other time I would ever say that. Aw, buddy. <sighs> so, the only question I do have is, what are we doing next week? We are doing the first movie in our three-part movie series, Movies for When You've Had a Stressful Day at Work. Um, mm -hmm. ways to decompress when you come home uh, couldn't recommend No Country for Old Men for that uh, actually I don't know uh, I could decompress to that I did I remember doing mm. it I was very comfy in my bed uh, yeah. with my feet kicked up on a pile of laundry that I folded and I just took it all in uh, and it was a really nice night um, no uh, we are going to start with my pick uh, uh, for when you've had a stressful day at work came out this year marcel the shell with shoes on um nice. it'll it'll warm your little heart it's like getting a warm hug in the form of a movie so we're gonna start with that um do we want to forecast what comes after that or keep them guessing yeah no that'd be good yeah um say so this is our first three-part series that's going to be spread out over three weeks movies for when you had a stressful day at work we're starting with Marcel the Shell with shoes on. That is Denny's pick, but my pick, personally, is going to be a movie of many titles, but ultimately it landed on Live, Die, Repeat, starring Tom Cruise. So that's going to be my pick. That's going to be in a couple of weeks. And then the third movie for this theme is going to be selected by you guys. Uh, we are very open to suggestions. We will post something on our Facebook page for you guys to um suggest movies that we will all vote on as the third movie for this theme can't wait to see what you guys have to say have to suggest unwinding after a stressful day of work man that's very uh personal and open to interpretation of what like decompresses you after day of work Just like so we already did for getting sarah marshall in wet hot american summer those are my actual go-to's <laughs> so <laughs> We already did green room for me, so <laughs> there you go. That is a weird go. way to decompress, Greg, but I respect it. Like, if <laughs> if this is happening, my laugh can't be that bad. <laughs> um, Greg, team me up. I'm ready to take hmm. this home. Are you ready to bring you home? Oh, man. What a fucking week. I just need a few deep breaths, man. Oh. What a week. What a month. Spooky season is over. Ah. Denny. I gotta declare this as no country for old catchphrase. <laughs> well, how about older catchphrase? Mm. <laughs> older than the spooky season one. For Greg Work, the legwork Johnson. I'm Denny the Talent Taylor, and this has been Movies for When? We already told you when, but you know what we didn't tell you? What's my 
Cage again!